Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today on the show, my guest is Spencer Lodge. Spencer is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, adventurer. He has trained and coached thousands of people who are now achieving amazing results, and he's been voted one of the 100 most influential people in Dubai. And recently, he got back from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Spencer, welcome. Thank you very much. How are you? I am fantastic. I am absolutely fantastic. And I have uh, so many questions I want to ask you, and I know we have limited time. So I think first, I, I want to hear about your trip. You, you do all these amazing trips, and uh, you do them in the name of, of charity, and, and uh, most recently, Mount Kilimanjaro. So let, let's start there. Yeah, I kind of, um, I've lived in 10 different countries over the years and worked in those countries, but never really explored many of them. And... Um, I remember when I was living in Brazil, my parents came to visit and my wife took my parents to travel around Brazil and see all of the sites and all of the wonderful adventures you could do there. And I was busy working. And so I, I kind of, after 25 years of living overseas, I sat thinking all, about all the things that I'd missed. Um, and so that's where really kind of like the adventure stuff started because somebody said to me one day, oh, why don't you do this? And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like good, uh, good fun. And then why don't you do that? Oh, that sounds like good fun. And so I just made a list of the things that I wanted to do. And I, and I really enjoyed climbing and I really enjoyed cycling. Um, and I really enjoyed the outdoors. And after being in cities and airports for so many years, getting out into the outdoors was really good. But like with all of these things, they're great things to do, but you need a, you need a reason, you need a purpose. And I didn't need to lose lots of weight. I didn't need to recover from something. So I decided that uh, I would do it in the name of a cause that was valuable to me, that I felt I could add value to. And that then gave me purpose because I put my, my, kind of my money where my mouth was. I said to these organizations that I would help them and I would raise a certain amount of money for each of them. And I then had to go out and do it. And uh, that's when I was able then to achieve sponsorship for the challenges that I did. And yeah, Kilimanjaro was one of those many ones. And I just came back three weeks ago, I think. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so like at one point there was a first mountain that you climbed and a first adventure that you went on. Did you have um, those, the, a moment of, oh gosh, what am I getting myself into and can I really do this? Yeah, absolutely. It was the London to Paris bike ride, which was about 500 kilometers. And I got to halfway through the first day and I was like, what on earth have I signed myself up for here? And I sat on the side of the road uh, with the legs aching, going up and down these hills in the South Downs in England. And uh, yeah, I thought, what on earth am I doing? But once I got to Paris, um, all of a sudden I'd achieved it. So again, for me then to do it again the following year wasn't going to be difficult. And I think it's the same with anything you achieve. You know, if you run a kilometer, you know you can run a kilometer. If you run 10 kilometers, you know you can run 10 kilometers. And so... I just gave myself these goals and then it gave me an instinctive belief that these things were possible. And then, okay, well, if I can run 10 kilometers, then I can run 11. So I better give 11 a go. And then, so last year I cycled from London to Paris and then I went from Paris to Geneva, um, which hopefully I'm doing that again in three weeks time. And so it's kind of like, yeah, you, you, you have fear um, and when you start the experience, because you, you can never train exactly 
for what you need, um, you kind of give it a go. It hurts. It gives you pain. And then once it gives you pain, then you just keep your head down and you keep one step in front of the other or keep pedaling forward. And eventually you get there. Um, and it's much easier to do it with other like-minded people that are maybe going through the pain as well. And you support each other through that pain and uh, eventually you get there. I, I, think, I think nothing's impossible, you know. If a 48-year-old guy like me, after spinal fusion surgery, um, clavicle plates put into me, all this kind of stuff, after all this work I've had on my body is done, if I can do these types of things, then, then everybody can. Well, you sound like you have an insane amount of energy. And Did you come out of the womb like that? Or like, where, where, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been. I've always had a lot of energy. When I was a kid, um, I, I, well, I had a lot of energy, but I was bullied at school quite, quite severely. And that bullying, when I left school, literally the day that we left high school, we moved from one city to another. And I remember it was like a fresh start. But all of the pain that had been caused by these bullies gave me this determination to want to prove only nobody else but them wrong. There were like four or five of them. And I really wanted to be better than them and prove to them I was worth something. And I look back now and I, and I know that was a massive motivator for me. And about a year ago, one of them actually got in touch with me to say that he follows me on social media and he just wanted to say how impressed he was with what I'd done. And that was this, this little kind of this little kind of kind of yeah I, you know win type of moment um just just you know to just and I and it was almost like for many years it was like I want to prove to you that I can be successful and I want you to be really unsuccessful but as you mature it's kind of like you see the the error of your ways with that and then I, I want everyone to do well and everyone to be successful but that was a real motivator for me and it really drove me and I'm and I was highly competitive in business and so I had that combination of being really competitive. Winning was everything. And then the, the, the kind of when you compete with others in business, that's one thing. When you're climbing a mountain, you're competing with yourself. Um, on summit day, just three weeks ago, climbing up to the top of Kilimanjaro, it, we, we, we left to the summit at 11.45 at night and we got to the summit at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And it was horrific, but it literally was one of my steps in front of the next step and another one of my steps. It was my challenge with me. It was my inner demons that I had to fight and it was me that I had to compete with. And, and that's enough for me too. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. Like what came to mind when you were telling that story is that like with the bullies, you know, so often in life we're faced with something really tough and really painful and only to learn that in the, at some point in the future, only to learn that, that thing that seemed so unbearable at the time was actually maybe a benefit, you know, really helped us get ahead in some way, shape or form. There was a guy who, um, oh, I forget his name. He was the guy, there was a movie, 127 hours. He wrote a book. He had his arm trapped in Utah. Oh, in yeah. Utah. Yeah. Okay. He was being interviewed on the radio today and I was listening to the interview and he said that he, ha he went back afterwards and he went back and, and he spoke, there's uh, uh, the ashes from the part of his body cut off from his arm that he cut off. He sprinkled over the boulder and he made friends with the boulder that trapped his arm. And I, that was really poignant for me to hear. And I think it's kind of like we all have our challenges. You know, he, you know, he, he realized he had to use the boulder to help break his bone because he couldn't cut through it. And so he had to make the boulder his friend. And 
I think that's that's you know an important thing to think about when you are are going through your challenges in life because at the end of the day you can let it beat you or or you can do something about it and for me it's like I'm never going to let anything beat me um and I think that's how other people should think too yeah and you know sometimes too if you're resisting something it, it makes it, you know, it's like it becomes this really big, scary demon that you're imagining maybe as worse as, than it really is in re, in, when you um, actually face it and move past it. Does that make sense? False evidence appearing real, which is oh. fear. Um, um, or oh, some people say F everything and run. <laughs> um, but to, to me, false evidence appearing real is what everybody misses. They just have an inherent fear. And, and for the, your listeners out there that may have done a bungee jump or a skydive or got on a, a scary roller coaster ride, you have all of that fear. And then you jump out of the airplane and you free fall. And then the parachute opens and then you hit the ground. And when you hit the ground, the first thing you want to do is do it again because you no longer have the fear that you had because the unknown doesn't exist there. Um, a lot of people have inherent fear about what might happen and what could be, what could go wrong um, and what mistake I could make. And that, that fear paralyzes people. And that paralysis, it just leads to further analysis which then just stops people moving in the direction they want to. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to get things wrong. We're going to, we're going to, you know, it's just, it's, sometimes it's going to blow up in your face. And sometimes the business that you've got is going to go horrifically wrong because it wasn't the right thing to do. But what actually happens is most people focus on strategy and what they forget about is story and what they forget about is state. You know, it's like, um, I'll give an example. There, there was a lady in the newspaper in the UK about two years ago that won slimmer of the year. And she lost all of this weight. And they said to her, how, how, did, how did you lose the weight? And she said, I was sat in a car park of McDonald's and I was eating a burger. And two youngsters came by and they threw their burgers at me through the window. And they said, you might as well have those two, fatty. And it, it hurt me and humiliated me so much that in that moment I decided I can't live like this. And so she changed her state. What most people do, and in the States, you know, they've had the Atkins diet and the keto diet and all of these different things. What they are is strategies. And people go on a diet and have a strategy and I'm going to lose some weight. And then invariably they put that weight on again because they have a strategy, but they don't have a strong enough story behind it. And they certainly don't have the state the psychology that they need to have. And this is where so many entrepreneurs get it wrong. So many people misunderstand what they have to do. Loads of people want to be entrepreneurs or solopreneurs. Lots of people want to set businesses up and be successful, but they're not conditioned in the right way. They don't have a strong enough reason. Their why isn't powerful enough. You know, you, you go to the doctors and you're a smoker and he says, one more cigarette and you're going to die. Um, well, it's kind of like, there's not much discussion and, and, and wiggle room with that. It's just like, it's got to happen. There is no discussion. Whereas most people going into business, and remember, 96% of small businesses fail. They fail because the business hasn't been set up correctly. And that's not because people can't learn how to do it. It's because people don't have the right reason. They don't have the right psychology to start with. It's kind of I, and I urge lots of those types of people, just stay in a job where you get paid and you don't have to worry about that stuff. You have to want to make a difference so badly. You have to want to be successful so badly 
that you're prepared to sacrifice all of your hours to do it. You have to sacrifice Netflix. You have to sacrifice your weekend. And I don't mean for six months or 12 months or 24 months. You have to sacrifice it for as long as it takes to get there. And in most cases, it's three, four, five, sometimes six, seven years just to get ahead. And lots of people don't have the staying power. You know, Steve Jobs said it. You know, a lot of what you do in business is really hard and a lot of it's difficult and a lot of it you're not necessarily going to like. So you've got to really love what you're doing and you've got to really care greatly about it because if you don't, eventually it will wear you down and you quit. Yeah, that speaks deeply to me. As, as you were talking, I was like, yes, that, that is absolutely true. And I think sometimes you have to just shed your parachute. You know, you just have to be like, I don't, I don't have any other choice and so this is going to work it definitely takes a special kind of person, in my opinion, to succeed in business. And this podcast is called Ready, Set, Grit. And ready refers to mindset. Set refers to getting to peace with time and money and getting your tribe together and, and all of that stuff. But grit is the part that I'm most drawn to because I feel like that is the key element of you know, just having that sheer determination that this is going to work. And that's where I think a lot of people... Um, underestimate what is needed, at least in my experience and the entrepreneurs I work with, what's really needed in the long, the marathon, you know, the long haul. It's such a wonderful word, grit. I love it. It means, as you say, it feels like there's substance to it, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. You talked a little bit about fear and you used the jumping out of the airplane analogy. And uh, I have a question and I, the analogy I'd like to use is um, public speaking because a lot of people have a fear around this. And so if, um, it, but this could be applied to really anything. So if there is a person um, with a phobia around public speaking, I'm sure there's a word for that, but I don't know what it is. Um, do you recommend that that person, um, you know, start, start doing it for sure. I'm sure that's, that's part of the solution. So do you start um, speaking in front of one person and five people and 10 people and 20 people and, you know, and get, getting comfortable at each level? Because as you said, you know, once you do it and the big, scary, imaginary, what it's going to be like thing doesn't happen, you don't die on the spot, hopefully. Um, you know, so then you do it again and it's easier. Or do you recommend um, just putting yourself out there in front of a larger crowd and, and just uh, kind of like jumping out of the airplane? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm coaching somebody at this minute who's a top-level CEO in a company in the Middle East, and he called me up and said to me, Spencer, I can do all of these things, but I'm just terrified of standing in front of an audience. And so I said, no problem at all. He said, can, can you help me? I'm like, yep, yeah, sure. So I invited him to my studio rather than to my office, um, and I sat in the studio, and I said, right, I'm going to leave you in the studio with the cameraman. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to talk for the next two minutes to the camera, okay, and introduce yourself. Tell, tell, tell me for two minutes what your background is, what you've done, whether you're married, have a family, et cetera. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm not kidding you. This is what I want you to do, two minutes. In fact, I tell you what, we'll put the camera on. I'll leave the cameraman to come out of the room. He'll put the lights on on the camera on, and we'll leave you to crack on and do it. Anyway, after a couple of minutes, He'd made a complete hash of it. However, he'd started. And for everybody, you have to make a start somehow. Now, how does it work really? 
Well, most people can talk about subjects they know a lot about quite easily. So if people have to publicly speak or speak to a group of people about a subject they're not so sure about, that's when the nerves start to kick in. But if, you know, if somebody had to stand up in front of an audience and talk about their kids, then invariably they could find that a lot easier. But the way that I train people to do it, because it's a, it's a fear that many people have. You know, I did an experiment in my office once. I took one of the meeting rooms and I converted it into a studio. And I gave everybody in the office two weeks to plan a two-minute speech that they could record on camera with nobody else in the room introducing themselves okay, and, uh, and, and their, their business story and reason why people should work with them. And out of the 100 people in the office, um, two of them went in the same day. The rest of them waited until the last two days. And on the last day, 30% of my office had a sickie because they didn't want to come in and do it. People are terrified of it. However, you just have to get people in a place where they start it. It's the same as anything. You've got to, you know, my wife would never skydive, but if I could get the harness on her, that's one stage. And if I could take the harness off and then go back and put the harness on her again, and maybe we could walk outside to the airplane, that's another step. If you do it bit by bit and you teach people to talk about a subject they're comfortable with, then you can slowly open that door and make it easier. But you must encourage, you must support, and you must coach people through that because just putting them okay, in front of an audience of 5, 10, 50 people, is, you know, they get sweaty palms, the sweat runs down their back, they get terrified, they shake, they get a dry, dry mouth, and it just doesn't work. So coach them bit by bit, put them in front of a camera and not an audience, and get them under, to understand that the camera is one person and they're just talking to one person and get them comfortable with doing that. And again, you can record it. Guess what? You can delete it. If it's no good, just delete it. They don't like it, delete it. No one's going to ever see it. Just delete it. And once they get more comfortable with doing that, then you can introduce a small audience. And so what I did is I introduced two of my staff from the office and put them in the studio just as if they were just busy doing stuff. Well, then he then had an audience of three people watching him. And he didn't even realize. And then I brought somebody else in and somebody else in before there were six or seven people and he was doing his thing. And again, he just got more and more comfortable with it. And so it's a, it's a slow process, but everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. So let's segue to one of, I think, your favorite topics. And that's sales, which is something that a lot of people have fears around and insecurity and massive hesitation. You know, I'm not a salesperson. I don't want to do that. Yet, as entrepreneurs, we have to do that. And many small business owners, such as myself, I have tried to hire salespeople over the years and have learned that I'm the best, best one to do it, even though I myself I'm a reluctant salesperson. And it's taken me a long time to get there. So how do you apply that idea of, you know, trying a little bit at a time or, or what do you recommend to someone who's not so excited about doing sales? Well, for the people that aren't excited about it, remember there are lots of other jobs out there that need to be done too. So don't worry, we need accountants. <laughs> so um, we need car mechanics and so we need, we need trash collectors. You know, there are other, other jobs out there. But for those that, that are entrepreneurs, the simple fact is you have to bring money through the door. So if you're going to build a business, you've got to create revenue. And by cr creating revenue, you enable yourself to run and cash flow a business. So don't think for one minute, okay, that this isn't an essential part of what you do. So this comes back to what I said earlier on about unless you're really passionate about it and it really matters to you and you want it more than anything, you will dry up. Because 
I meet lots of people in the tech space and um, lots of people that are creating this and creating that. Guess what? You can create the best product in the world. You can create the best solution in the world. You can disrupt as many industries as you want. But unless you get money through the door, you have nothing. You just have an idea. So remember, if I wanted to be a lawyer, I could go study to be a lawyer. If I wanted to be an accountant, I could go study to be an accountant. The simple fact is we can all learn to be a salesperson. And it's probably one of the most critical skills that an entrepreneur is going to need. The CEO of a company is a salesperson. The general management are salespeople. They're promoting their business all of the time. People don't just knock on your door and want to give you money. You have to go out there and find your clients. So for me, it's a skill. You know, when I was a kid, you know, people would say, oh, you've got the gift of the gab uh, and all this kind of stuff. And you've got an extrovert character or personality. Some of the best salespeople in the world aren't gregarious, extroverted people. They're shy, quiet people, but they ask really good questions because they've learned how to do it, because they've learned how to sell. So I created a university with 450 videos and tests and exams going through the A to Z of selling, literally the very basics all the way up to the most complicated stuff so that everybody could learn how to sell. And and it, and it baffles me to this day why people want to shy away from it, thinking it's not them, it's not me, it's not in my character. But guess what? Okay, there are lots of things that aren't in your character, but you had to learn them so that you could be successful in business. There is no reason why you can't learn to sell. You can't learn to be a great salesperson. And remember, you probably would have got the jobs that you applied for in the first place when you graduated had you learned how to sell. Because the first person you have to sell is yourself to a potential employer when you're 21 years old coming out of university. So for me, it's a skill, number one. Number two, everybody can learn it. Number three, get excited about it because you're going to do it. a lot of it if you're an entrepreneur. You're going to have to. Um, and number four, don't fear it. The simple fact is people don't like pushing their product or service onto other people. Well, that's because they don't believe in it enough. If you believed in what you were doing enough and, it, and you, know, it really, you knew it was going to make a difference to someone's life, you knew it was going to make a difference to a company's out, out, uh, bottom line, you knew it was going to have an impact on a community, um, you knew that it was going to make a difference to an airline, and you really knew it and you really believed it, well, you'd deliver with passion and energy and enthusiasm to anyone that would listen to you. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I keep hearing you say is, you can do anything you put your mind to. And you've, you've said that about your adventures. You say that about sales, about being successful. Um, you know, we talked about entrepreneurs ne needing to really want it. But if you really want it, I think you're saying you can do it. So I want to talk a little bit about the um, tendency that many humans have to put limiting beliefs on themselves and to say, um, you know, maybe they, they don't come from the best background or circumstance or they've had something in the past. Uh, can you just talk about that a little bit? Like how, how do you um, address that with people? Because I'm sure it comes up in your conversations. Here in the Middle East, we have lots of uh, Indians and Pakistanis, so NRIs and NRPs, we've got non-resident Indians and non-resident Pakistanis, where education is everything. So when you talk to them about anything, they're like, yes, well, I studied here and I've got an MBA and I've got this and I've got that. And I'm just like, I've got nothing. I have none of that. I went to school. So in the States, it's high school. I left high school. Nobody would take me into college because I, I, I was the, one of the worst ones in my class. 
So what are our limiting self-beliefs? Well, first of all, if a guy like me that comes from a family where my parents got divorced when I was seven years old, my, my dad went bankrupt and my mum and dad had nothing and I went to state school and failed, if a guy like me can make something of his life with guts and determination, then everybody can. There is literally no reason why somebody can't. And anybody listening to this right now, listening to your podcast, you know, it's okay for you, Spencer. You, know, it's, you have to ask yourself a question. When you get to the last few days of your life or you're sitting in the old people's home, what are people going to remember you for? When we go to your funeral and your gravestone is going to have the date you were born and it's going to have the date that you passed, there's going to be a little line, a dash between those two dates. What is that dash going to stand for? Is it going to be, oh yeah, he was a really nice person? Or are you the kind of person that wants to be remembered for making a difference to something in some way? Well, if you are the kind of person that wants to be remembered for making a difference, then you better start doing something about it because all you're doing is you're selling yourself on all the bullshit reasons and excuses of why you can't be something. So hear what I just said. You're selling yourself. So for all of you out there that don't believe you're very good at selling, guess what? You're doing a brilliant job of selling to yourself. So you must be half good at selling. Yeah, that's a good... Yourself... <laughs> why not sell yourself on the reasons why you can do something as opposed to the reasons why you can't? Why not sell yourself on what's possible rather than what's not possible? Why not sell yourself on what you can be as opposed to what you can't be? Why not sell yourself on the difference you can make as opposed to the difference you can't? Why not sell yourself on the fact that you've seen somebody do something amazing and you can do that too rather than it's all right for them? What kind of a mentality is that? Play a victim game. Be the victim forever. I can't do it. I have limiting self-beliefs. I can't do it. I'll be negative and things won't be possible. Well, there's a real reason for that, and I'll just step into that quickly. We have a conscious and a subconscious. Our conscious is what we, we control our subconscious with. Our subconscious is what controls our breathing and all those things that we don't think about. I mean, you drive a car and you, you know how to drive. So what does our subconscious want us to do? Well, our subconscious wants us to lay down. It doesn't want to take risk. It's a risk-mitigating device. It doesn't want to take risk. Your subconscious would rather you lay on the bed. The subconscious, if you're not on the bed, would rather that you actually sit on the sofa. And the reason is, is that it doesn't like you taking risk. So you need to get your conscious brain engaged in telling your subconscious where to go so that you get out of that state of, oh, yeah, it's easy to lay on the sofa and watch Bold and the Beautiful and eat loads of women French fries. It's just like that's your subconscious controlling you, making you chill out. You have to get into your consciousness and you need to tell your consciousness what you're going to do, how you're going to do it and what is possible. And the first step you can take is to get up and go for a walk. And do that every morning for a week. First thing you do, get up half an hour early and go for a walk just so that you can demonstrate to your subconscious that it's not going to beat you. Once you've gone for a walk, go for a jog. Once you've gone for a jog, go for a run. And do it in stages. And demonstrate to your subconscious every time you, it, it wants you to press the snooze button that you're not going to accept that. I could talk about this for hours, but I won't. <laughs> I love this. I'm, I'm actually uh, taking notes. You're, you're very uh, well-versed well in this topic, I can tell. But where, when did you first start to realize this? So you had 
um, maybe, you know, some challenges growing up and, and those experiences with the bullies. And, and, you know, I can almost imagine your life could have gone in a very different direction. So when did you start to have some of these victories that maybe began building on one another? Or did you have a mentor? Or how, did, how did you start to realize this? I think I did have a mentor, but I didn't directly have a mentor. I don't, he was my boss. Um, uh, I, well, what happened was when I was, when I was 19 years old, I got a job as a trainee office equipment salesperson. And, uh, the, the job was in, as, as a kid, I was just a kid. I had a, uh, my patch, my territory in the city of London was a small postcode. And I had to every morning go and knock on 100 doors and I had to, every afternoon, make 100 cold calls. And I'd never done anything like this before. But my boss said to me, look, you're going to go and knock on 100 doors, and, then you, and, and you're going to get some people reject you, and some people say no, and some people will say yes. But then you're going to get on the telephone in a very competitive industry, in a very competitive marketplace. And when you get on the telephone and you make those 100 calls, 99 people are going to say no. That's the nicest thing they're going to say. 99 people, are, some of them are going to swear and use bad language. Some of them are going to hang up. Some of them are going to be abusive. But out, when you dial 100 people, there is one person in there that will buy. You have to find that person. So he said, you've got to go and find 99 no's so that you can get a yes. So this switch in my brain went, ah, right, I better go and buy. Right, okay, boss. I better go and find those 99 no's. So I went off pursuing the 99 no's. And so eventually I got my yes. And when I got my yes, I was like, yay! But I also got my 99 no's. And I knew I had to go through the 99 to get the yes. Now, when my skills developed and I got better at what I was doing, that number changed from 99 to 98 to 97 to 95, etc. And I got more yeses all the time. However, I, I was taught to understand that rejection was part of the game. People saying no was part of the game. The guys that set up most companies, internet startups, the guys that set up Indiegogo, it was the 97th bank that gave them money. And so all of these stories you hear about people being successful, they've had to face huge amounts of rejection. And for me, as a kid, I was conditioned to understand that that was part of the journey. And when you're 19 years old, you're a sponge. You learn because you know you're learning from more experienced people. And so when I, once you can get that in your brain and understand that, then, hey, hey, it doesn't hurt you. What happens for lots of people is that they get rejection from a job interview, from the, in their jobs, and it kind of like stabs them in the stomach or it stabs them in the heart. And it's like, oh, I got somebody said, no, the world is coming to an end. It's not. Someone just said no. That's all they did. They said no. And so for me, learning how to handle rejection made me extremely resilient, which meant I could push through any form of rejection that came my way because I knew behind the rejection was acceptance. Yeah, and sometimes those no's are actually opening up doors for other things too. So I think, you know, as we were talking about fear earlier, it certainly isn't something that needs to be feared is getting that no also. No, but, but most people fear it. Absolutely. But then I forgot who it was. Um, there is a TED Talk about going out and trying to get rejected. Do you, did you hear that TED Talk by any chance? Gosh, From this person, so I can't remember who it was. <laughs> but, uh, no, but that no, was the no. whole thing, was just going out and trying to get rejected. So he would ask, he would go out and do crazy things, like um, go up to a random stranger and ask if he could 
sunbathe in their backyard or, you know, if they would give him a hamburger and, and trying, you know, going after rejection. And a lot of times people that he thought, cause he was asking crazy things. A lot of times people actually said yes. And that's how he overcame his fear. It's quite an interesting story. And I, and I apologize for not, um, remembering who that is, but I will look it up and, and let you know. It's Find good. it out. Get the link on the podcast. Find it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we are almost out of time, but I have a couple more questions for you. Um, for I wanted to ask you, so you are um, by, I guess, every standard, crazy successful. Um, what is your definition of success? And is it the same as happiness? Okay, I think I think it gets misconstrued, and I think there's lots of different answers for this because the question isn't asked the right way. So, how do you measure success in business? How do you measure success in your family and personal life? How do you measure success? I think you can't just say how do you measure success. Period. So for me, success in business um, comes from achieving the goals that you've established for yourself, and so. Again, lots of people have three years and five-year goals and all this kind of long-distance baloney. For me, goals should be something you do every three months. They're 13 weeks away, so you can see them. And if you achieve your goals, then you have success. So your success, uh, compared to anybody else's success, it can't be measured because people are on different paths, on different journeys. Now, in the material sense, Success is, again, determined by what people measure as successful within material. You know, I, I could say I'm successful because I'm a multimillionaire, but then that means I'm unsuccessful to a billionaire. I'm, you know, and a billionaire is unsuccessful to a multi-billionaire. And so when you measure it in just in monetary terms, um, I think, it, you know, it, it all depends who your gauge is and who you're measuring. So I would always measure myself rather than measure myself against somebody else. In terms of family, um, I've got two healthy 16 and 18 year old daughters that are going off to college and university and I'm enormously proud of them. Am I a successful dad? I gave it a good go and I hope that they, they're, they're, they're happy with the job that I did. I'm enormously proud of the young ladies that they've become. Have I been successful? Um, I hope so. But compared to some parents, maybe not. And compared to other parents, amazingly, I have the choice to do what I want when I want. I don't get up every day and need to find money. I was very fortunate, very young, okay, to be able to create wealth. I knew how to do that because I was resilient. So that gave me options and choices. Now, I could have gone on and been obsessed about making money, but what, what, what monetary success gives you is choices and freedom. Freedom to climb any mountain you want whenever you want to. Freedom to cycle from London to Geneva if you want to, just because you fancy it. Um, uh, freedom to take a tuk-tuk and ride across India in it just because you want to do so um, and not have to you know, stay in uh, um, backpackers accommodation but live in the accommodation you want to so it gives you choices and, and that's what I think is important do you get up every day doing something that you have to do so that you can secure your future that you don't really want to do if you do then I would argue that maybe you're getting it wrong yeah, yeah, no, it's it's interesting to hear your take on it, and I thank you for um, going there. You know, I, I know that maybe wasn't a wasn't a uh, expected question, but thank you. No worries. Yeah, no, great. 
And uh, as we are almost out of time, I was hoping I could ask you a final question, which is that many of our listeners are um, starting over in some way. So either they're in a career that they're not particularly fulfilled by and, you know, are looking to start a business or um, not always. You know, sometimes it's just figuring out what truly calls them and, and embracing that in some way. But a lot of the listeners, too, are uh, young people starting out. And uh, I just wondered, like, what what advice do you have for someone who's um, looking to do something new, whether they're, you know, 20 or, or 60? It doesn't really matter, I, I think, in many ways. Okay, so I'll give you some statistics, which might give you some background on, on how I can advise here. Um, on the university that we sell, our clientele are from the age of 27 to 35 and from 49 to 60. So what we've learned is that when people leave university, typically they can't be taught anything. They've studied for a number of years. They think they know it all typically. So sorry for you out there that listen that don't, but typically you, you find it very hard to accept being told or, or taught anything new. However, Lots of people, when they get into their mid-20s and then later 20s, they start realizing that maybe their career hasn't gone in the direction that it should have gone. They haven't had the success that they assumed they were going to have. And because of that, they then look for ways that they can learn. So, and, and then the same, the same again with the 48-year-olds and upwards. Bizarrely, the over 48s predominantly are women. So I think there might be kids have grown up and moved on. They want to re-educate themselves and get back in the workplace or maybe divorce and stuff like that. But for young people um, that are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, uh, my first advice to you is it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of pain. So my real advice would be if you have a job that pays you money, stay doing that job so that you can pay the rent and so that you can pay for your food and your electricity and your car, etc. When you finish work every day, instead of going and hanging out with your buddies playing Xbox or whatever it is you play, okay, or going out you know, and drinking in bars or going out and partying or going out and doing sports, my advice to you would be every evening work on the business that you want to build. Okay, work on it every night. And without a business plan, you're not going to go anywhere. So you need to create a business plan. Do your research online and offline, but do it all while you have a full time job. And whatever that job is, doesn't matter what the job is, just one that pays you the most. Don't worry about the job. The job is just giving you cash so that you can pay your bills because you can work then on your project of an evening and then at the weekend. And if you think about it, if you work in the evening after you finish work from 7 till 12, that's five hours a night. Five hours a night, five nights a week, but that's 25 hours. Then you've got 10 hours on each day at the weekend, for example, you can use. That's 35, 45 hours. That's 90 hours over two weeks. That's 180 hours, okay, over uh, a month. 180 hours extra a month if you took that time to do that. Elon Musk said, if you use those hours wisely, you'll do, okay, the same amount of work as your competitors in three months just by employing that philosophy. And I completely agree with him. So use those hours really wisely. Study what you don't know. Don't assume you know something. Study and study really hard. You can learn stuff on YouTube. Go and pay for classes. You know, I, I have a coach myself. Yeah, I coach people. You know, I'm a great fan of the work of Tony Robbins, Keith Cunningham. You know, I love Russell Brunson at ClickFunnels. He's been, you know, been a great help to me in developing parts of the sales funnels for my business. But I had to go and learn these things. So if you're young, okay, go and learn what you need to learn. Work on your business in those hours. Keep a full-time job. Okay, and lastly... 
don't expect to get rich quick because you just won't. All right. You're not a blooming um, a Bitcoin genius. You know, you have, and stop thinking about your business being the next unicorn, you know, the Uber of this or the Airbnb of that. Start to get a bit more real, okay, and a bit more humble and make sure that you know what you need to know before you go giving up stuff and running at 100 miles an hour, trying to raise finance from people that I promise you probably will say no to you, okay, at first. Thank you. That is solid advice. Pleasure. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, and I'm sure that it's, it's advice that many listeners will take to heart. I hope they will. I, I mean, and many others will be like, "No way! 180 hours a week? You got to be kidding me!" But um, but then but then but then those people that, that say that, okay, for those of you listening that are going to have that answer, whatever you do, do not be an entrepreneur because it won't work. You've got to realize that you need to make those sacrifices to get there. If you're not prepared to do it, you don't want it bad enough. And if you don't want it bad enough, that's fine. As I said, we need accountants. Yeah, everybody sees these overnight, so-called overnight successes and doesn't realize what actually happened behind the scenes exactly. 99% of the time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Spencer, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I hate to cut this short, but I do want to thank you for your time. And um, what is the best way for someone to get in touch with you and to find out about your university? You can go to makeithappen.university, which is the website. If you want to go hunt me down, you can go for, look for Make It Happen, Spencer Lodge. You'll find me on um, Facebook. You will find Make It Happen, Spencer Lodge on YouTube. There's 150 videos on YouTube of me doing my thing. You can go watch if you want to. Um, uh, I do a Facebook Live every week. People can come and watch me and ask me questions if they want to on a Wednesday at 6 p.m. So um, follow that. Um, I'm there, there on, the same, on the same handle on Instagram as well. So if you look hard enough, if you want to know bad enough about me, you'll find me. Spencer Lodge, it's an unusual name. I sound like an old people's home, I think. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure you'll find me. Make it happen, Spencer Lodge. Okay, that's fantastic. And I'll make it easy for the listeners by putting links to all of that on my website, too. So, Spencer, thank you again for being with us today. Thanks, for, uh, t- thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks to everybody for listening to the show. My guest was Spencer Lodge and... Um, you, uh, I'm totally messing this up, but I'm going to do it when you're off. When you're off, <laughs> I think it's time for me to go home. <laughs> Spencer, thank you so much. That was awesome. No problem at all. You should leave that bit on there when you go like that. That's authentic. People like people like that think? stuff. That I do it all the time. I literally, I do it all the time. I'm live and I go, hi, everyone. And I don't know what the hell I'm going to say for the next five minutes. I've forgotten everything. So hold on while I read my notes. <laughs> People are like, you're nuts. <laughs> uh, no, I'm totally going to leave it on. Okay, done. <laughs> time to go have a glass of wine. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions, real results.